God is very wise, extremely wise. And sometimes he allows things to happen to your lives that cause you great discomfort and pain. And in those times of great discomfort and pain, we can get to a place where we start saying, why are you doing this, God? Why are you doing these horrible things to my life? The psalm said, you know, in my affliction I found... What was this? When I was afflicted, I found help in your word or something, or something like that, it says in Psalm 119. That when God afflicted me, he found strength in the word of God. And God's affliction oftentimes brings us to a place that drives us into God, if we allow it to drive us into God. Or it drives us away from God if we become hard-hearted. And... Um, I just, I just believe that God has been doing that in my life, driving me into God, saying, come now, let's, let's spend some more time, let's, let's talk together, let's spend some more time together and let's get to know each other a little bit better. And I mean, he doesn't have to get to know me better because he already knows me real well. Um, I just got to get to know him a lot better than I do. So he's been drawing me to himself and um, showing me stuff. And I just want to talk to you about the wonder of our God, the fact that he is so marvelous and so wonderful. Science is a very interesting thing. You know, um, a lot of Christians are sort of scared of science because it postulates so many crazy things. But there's nothing in real science that has disproven God. In fact, it only makes me wonder about the majesty of God even more. The, the more... Science unravels about the mysteries of the human body and the mysteries of creation. The more I just sit and marvel at God and think, oh God, you're just amazing. There is nothing that they've dug up out the ground that tells me that there's any proof in any of the ideas of secular ideas about us coming from monkeys or whatever. What we have in our society is a community of scientists who say it's just amazing what we're discovering and we just really can't get our heads around it but we think that we need a lot of millions and billions of years for it to have taken place. But you know what? Jesus doesn't need a lot of time to do what he does. Amen? He's there anyway. We are going to continue on with our sermon on becoming more like Jesus but I want to lay a foundation about how to become more like Jesus today and how to live out or incarnate Christ, put Christ on as it were in our lives. So I'm going to talk to us today about um, gentleness versus harshness, how to be gentle and that sounds like a very and, I, and what I didn't want to do today is talk to you about the 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 area of being harsh and brutal and violent as opposed to the wisdom of being quiet and gentle in, in your words and responses. I mean, that's just a practical lesson of, you know, don't shout, be quiet, be gentle. I, I, for us to understand God, we need to step back a bit and, and ask ourselves, you know, why do we be gentle or how can we be gentle and what's at the core of this? And, you know, I want to have a look today about how awesome God is. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. We're going to read a few passages. And I'm just going to talk as we go through that passage of Scripture in Psalm 139. I haven't got it up there because I want you to open up your Bible if you can. If you've got a Bible and, I, and open it, I want you to open it up at Psalm 139. Now I'm going to be reading from, I think it's the New English or the New um, Living Translation. So it's a little bit... 
um, easier for you to understand. And then I'm going to talk about this as I'm going and try and paint a picture about the amazing, wonderful, awesome God that we serve. In verse 1 it reads, O Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. And right there we have this statement by the psalmist who's a shepherd boy who's, who's singing a song to God that he's just come to a revelation that God, where God lives, in the realm where God lives, God knows everything about him. Now, oftentimes, quantum physics, if you're going to study quantum physics, opens up a door of amazing ideas that they can prove through mathematics, but they just don't know how it actually happens and they just don't know how you can talk to these physicists and you can talk to these neurologists and you can talk to these scientists about the human body and they say you know when we look at the human body all these amazing things could be taking place one of the one of the scientists who's responsible for string theory he said and string theory is a theory that there is no material basis for anything in life we're just vibration everything comes to and by looking in a microscope and looking down and down and down and down into the cell and keeping on looking into the cell it comes to a place where there's just vibration and nothing else but just vibrations and he proposes that if God was God he would be an orchestra conductor conducting a huge piece of music because everything is just vibrations there is no material he's not a Christian and he he talks about this wonder the amazing thing of God or trying to grasp what it is that happens in our life so every time you look at quantum physics he says you know there could be parallel universes there could be other realms that we don't know it's all there it's all there in what they say quantum physics is telling us but they just don't know how it works so there's a a pointer an indicator that there could be something else outside of us that we're just not aware of we just don't know how it is what it is and where it is and I think, well, God has made himself known to us. He has shown us. And what you call mystery, we call God. What you call Mother Nature, we call Father God. And, and we look at that and we think, this is an amazing, amazing truth there. And the psalmist got it. He was just a shepherd boy. He's sitting out there and he says, you know, I'm sitting down and thinking and you're communicating into you, my mind from your realm, from wherever that realm is, wherever you're living and we know that God lives in the eternal realm he is not fixed in time and space as we are he lives in a place is outside of time and space but nevertheless is here with us right now and he lives and has his being in that place and we are in our realm which is time and space and we are existing in this realm of eternity but we can't see it or can't know it, but it's there nevertheless so he is there and in his realm of eternity he knows all things he knows everything Thing about us the psalmist says lord you have examined my heart and you know everything about me he he said i i can't hide from you verse 2 says you know when i sit down and stand up you know my thoughts even when i are, i am far away he says i i can i can be miles away from anywhere and you already know me you know my thoughts you know everything about me you know all there is to know about me you're great and you're awesome verse 3 says you see me when i travel and when i rest at home you know everything i do 
You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. So here is God who lives in eternity, which means he lives in the past, he lives in the present, and he lives in the future. He knows when I'm going to speak. He knows what I'm going to say. He knows why I'm saying it. He knows it all before I've even said it. He lives at the other end of the sermon after I've finished it. I haven't even finished it, but he knows what I'm going to say and he knows how I'm going to say it and he knows what I'm going to say and he knows why I'm going to say it. He knows it all. We're just catching up with his knowledge. He's awesome and amazing. He knows everything about us. He knows everything that you did in the past and he knows what you're thinking now. He knows where you live. He is awesome. And such knowledge, he says, he says, verse 5, he says, um, you go before me and follow me. So, okay, you're in front leading the way and I'm following, I turn around and there you are behind me. Like you're not fixed. You're not anywhere where I'm not. You are everywhere and you're around me. He begins to see something of an eternal sphere that scientists in quantum physics are just discovering now. The psalmist got told it by God because he's communing with God and scientists are now saying it's possible there's a realm outside of There are universes outside. We're just discovering that now. And the psalmist said, God, you're awesome. You know everything there is to know. Such knowledge, he says in verse 6, is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. Amazing. He says, I can't even get my head around it. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. Because in him we live and move and have our being, said Paul. If I go to heaven, you are there. If I go to the depths of the grave, you are there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the Father's oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could say to darkness to hide me and light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to you. So he shows us this incredible presence of God. Living in the presence of God. He says, if I go to the outskirts of heaven and look at the universe as they have done, and you can see pictures of it if you Google the universe or the cosmos as we know it, and you get a view of the incredible cosmos spread out in front, the expanding cosmos that goes on as far as you can go for 300,000 billion light years if you travel that way, you're still traveling through it. And you get an idea of it. He literally says, you know, here I am watching outside and God, you are there watching it all with me you are present there in it all and we know he's there how do we know he's there because everything in it is ordered and everything in it is functioning with its with its laws of gravity and laws of uh, um, physics and laws of mathematics it's all going on and the, the scientists say isn't it marvelous this big bang just blew out into such orderly and look at the laws that hold it all to place. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, He holds all things together by the word of His mouth. His laws, 
His universal laws of mathematics and gravity and laws of nature, laws of life, they hold everything together and it's all there. He's there in the midst of, and the outskirt of him. He says, if I go to the depths of the grave, if I go right down to the core of the grave, he says, you're there. I can't go away from you. Wherever I am, there you are. Our God is that big. He is not far from those who call on him. He is near to us all at every moment of our lives. You have not been abandoned by God. God is present, an ever-present help in the day of trouble. He is here and he is there with you when you go through your time of difficulty. You know, I've been thinking and praying about healing. I've been thinking and praying about God's power in healing. And I like to think that God is everywhere in my body as well as he is in my spirit. I want to stretch your mind today. Go to verse 13. You've made all the delicate intimate in the inner parts of my body, you knit me together in my mother's womb. So here is the, the psalmist, the shepherd boy who's just looking after sheep, immediately coming to this place where he's realizing now that God is inside his mother's womb at the point of conception. So the sperm comes along, swimming along. I'll do this with the incarnation in a moment. The sperm comes along, swims along, the mother's egg's there, and then they join together. And the word says, you are there, God, when you knit me together in my mother's womb. He says further on, he says, you saw my unformed substance. We're talking about a zygote. We're talking about just the DNA starting to form together. Oh, scientists, are we... Darwin said, you know, simple cells and they just, you know, mutate and then they change into something simple and then, then we change species and we turn from a, a monkey into a man, you know. But the trouble is it's not that simple when it gets to the cell. There's 300 million DNA connections in there that have to be all perfect for it to produce something. It's so complex. It's irreducibly complex, which Darwin says if you can prove it's irreducibly complex, evolution is rubbish. And they have proven it's irreducibly complex at the core of the cell. Here we have the cell. And where is God in the cell when, it, when conception takes place? Here he is. He's created a thing called a legaz, which is a little bug that looks like a lot of bugs together. And it just goes there and it takes the male DNA and it takes the female DNA and it unzips them and it then weaves them together to make you. Scientists don't know how it does it. They don't know where it gets its knowledge to do that. They don't know why it does it. They, don't, they just look and they marvel and they say, isn't this marvelous that man would be recreated, that he become a join from his mother and from his father, that he would show all the similarities of those two parents and they'd be born. And they say, look at that little creature. It's got a little tail and it's got little things and it picks up and it undoes it and glues together and it sticks it and it's a marvelous... God is there in the presence. Take the incarnation. What's the incarnation? It's Jesus. Mary's womb is there, the seed of the woman. And then God creates a seed. And there in the womb of Mary, he undoes Mary's DNA and folds 
God's DNA in with Mary's and we got Jesus, the Son of God, being born of woman, coming from glory into a human womb to be born of a virgin, to stand up God-man, to tell us about his Father. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. The psalmist goes on and he says, he says, um, Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Wonderfully complex. The complexity is just amazing when you start looking closely at it. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the darkness of the womb, you saw me before I was born. The New King James Version says, my unformed substance, while I was just cells multiplying, God was present there. He was present there when Eugene was conceived and was being formed in his mother's body. He was there at the same time when I was being conceived. He was there when Heike was conceived. He was there and he was watching. You have been wonderfully made. You are so complex in your, in your created being. God has done a marvelous job. And then he goes on, he says, Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Our oh God is amazing. Just have to look in the mirror and think, how did I happen and how did it all and we're getting to get a bit of a clue about how it, how it is that God does the stuff. We, our science is good enough now to look into the cells and to watch them replicate. Our science is good enough now to be able to see that there was four chemicals in the DNA and everything, everybody's DNA is different to everybody else's. That's an amazing thing. We've we got science now that can look right into the cell of the human body and, and understand and will get to understand how it happens. They just don't know. They, they see a mutation in the DNA and they say, you know, if that wouldn't mutate, we would live forever. And they're just trying to work out why it mutates. They don't know why it mutates. They just see it mutating and death comes after it mutates, but they don't know why it mutates because it shouldn't mutate. Everything recreates itself in our bodies because that's how we were created, but sin entered in. And when sin entered in, God says, you will die. And the mutations began. They say, well, this is all kind of scary, Mark. That means there really is a God, and that means we really have him present, and he's really with us. Well, he is, and he is very powerful. See that drawing? I drew that. It's a bit blurry. Do anybody know what that is? Put your hand up if you know what that is. Okay, what is it, Joshua? It's a neuron. It's a neuron. Yeah, they've got a big microscope and they have a look at inside your head and they find neurons. There's a number of different kinds of neurons, but neurons are the grey stuff that's in your brain. If, you, if I were to get an axe and chop uh, Eugene's head like that and pull it out, there would be some grey stuff in it, okay? You'd pull his brain out and have a look at the grey stuff and you'd say, well, what's that? It's just slop. 
No, it's neurons. It's these things. It's lots and lots of these things. Remember we've talked about pathways, you know how the devil makes a pathway in our lives and that pathway just leads us to sin every time and we've got to change our pathway. We've got to get out of the rut and we've got to get into God's way and do a new thing. Remember we've talked about that? Well, this is the pathways. There are how many, how many neurons in our minds? Can somebody tell me how many neurons are in your mind? A hundred billion neurons in your head. A hundred billion neurons and every neuron sparks away. Like if you go at the top part there, it says this is where the stuff comes in. It comes in there and it's processed in that little cell of this genetic stuff in there and it creates a little message. And that message is like put on a truck and that truck goes down that, see that little highway there we've got a company highway actually on there it goes down there and it travels down there full full speed boom, 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 with a message it's got a message it's got a message to your body so if i'm going to go like that and pick up that there's a neuron firing that's how my mind works it goes pick it up my hand stretches out like that and it picks it up to do that it sent a message down that little track down into my hand, down into my muscles, right out into my nervous system, and it says, pick it up. And my hand goes like that, and it picks it up, just like that. That's how my mind works. Yeah, no, it's there. We're daft. This is wonderfully made. This is extraordinarily made. We're just starting to understand how complex it is. And scientists and neurologists look at it and say there's about, you know, 750 grams of brain there. But that brain is able to comprehend infinity, is able to comprehend God, is able to comprehend everything about God. It just is amazing what it does. There's 750 grams of grey stuff. It's got the Spirit of God in it. It's got God working through it. And the neurons are firing away and we're seeing it. That's why we do what we do. There's a thing called, a, and they just discovered this, it's called a mirror neuron. A mirror neuron. They find out these things, you know, after looking and then putting things in the brain and watching the brain light up, watching the energy flow. So what's a mirror neuron? So a mirror neuron is what you see in a child. If you were acting like a little child and I was going to feed you, I would go something like this. Here comes the, the train, cha-cha-cha. And see what he just did? He opened his mouth. I mean, that's why you do it. You say, here comes the train. Open your mouth. Ah, and, and you open your mouth. You mirror, you mirror it. That's the way you learn. We didn't know that, did we? We just thought that was just crazy. You know, open your, ah, and some of us did it without even thinking. You know, sit there with you know, the child and the child, and the child goes back at you. What's that doing? The child's just reflecting. Anybody who's got little children around will know that if you go, aha, they'll go, aha, back. They do all the sort of things that you do. They mimic them back to you. Why? Because the neuromurons reflect it back. They reflect back to you what you want them to learn. So we're able to know what somebody is feeling and we're able to uh, look at somebody because these neuroneurons sort of connect each other. Here's the amazing thing they discovered. When you touch Heike, when I look at that, a neuron in my mind fires off and I can feel the touch in my head. The reason I don't get confused is because in my skin there is receptors and I'm recognising that 
I didn't get touched because my receptors say, you didn't get touched. And so it goes back to my brain and says, don't stress out, don't get confused. You feel the touch. That's why movies work. Because when you're watching it and you see the music start to play and it's slow motion across the room and they grab each other and they slowly look at each other and then their mouths move together and they're just about to plant a big kiss on just about to plant a big kiss on each other. And guess what happens? You go, ah, I felt that. You felt it because your mirror neurons are reflecting it back to you. Uh, you know you didn't really feel it. You felt it inside. Mm, the gooey feeling got started. But you didn't really feel it because your receptor said, I didn't touch, I didn't touch my lips. I'm just watching. It's just a movie, you tell yourself. But what happened is, you got kicked off and you got started on the inside because your mirror neurons mirrored it back into you. You know what they found? This is the amazing thing that scientists have found. You heard when somebody gets to loses a limb, they, 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 they lose a limb like it's gone. They're sitting there, one, that, you've lost a limb, got blown off. So you've got one hand. Do you sometimes feel pain in the hand that's not there? It's called phantom pain. Phantom pain. You've got no arm, but the arm that would be there is itchy. And you can't scratch it because it's not there. It's called phantom pain. Silas says, how can that be? How can a man feel pain in his arm when it is not there? It's because your neurons are firing the ones that would have been connected to it, and it's telling you it's itchy even though it's not there. And there's no receptors in your arm to tell them that it's not happening. So they tested it. This is, there is a point to this exercise. They tested it. They put an injection in the, in the person's arm and made it feel completely numb. Then they made the person, did some touching in front of that person, and because that person had no receptors to sort it out, they could feel it here and what they said the only thing that separates you from me is our skin that really we are more connected than you would even believe that when I see you do something it fires off in me and I can feel the thing that you feel that's why I can learn culture that's why I can learn ideas they say that mirror neuron is adopting another person's opinion that's what they call it. I was going to show you a skip, but it, a um, thing, but I, it's an amazing thing. That's how God made us. So when God has made us that way, and He starts to talk to us about how to be and how to live and what to do, it really is a case of mirroring Him. You know, He says, "My thoughts are not your thoughts." My ways are not your ways. As high as the heaven is above the earth, so are my ways above your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts. And it says, look, here, exchange your thoughts for my thoughts. Let there be an exchange of ideas. You put down your wicked thoughts and you pick up my thoughts and start to do my thing. Imitate me. Well, the scripture tells us very clearly that we are to imitate God. It tells us, in First uh, Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.6, become imitators of us as of the Lord, for you welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy. He says, I want you to imitate. That is, look at 
what Jesus is asking you to do. Mirror it. Let it mirror in your spirit. Friends, the reality is that we don't spend enough time with Jesus to mirror Jesus. The reality is you don't spend enough time thinking about God to mirror God. If you spent more time with God, spending more time watching God, spending more time waiting on God, spending more time thinking about God, it would be a whole lot easier to mirror God than if you treated God like a dog and patted him on his head in the morning and patted it on his head at night time. If you walked with God every day, if you lived in the presence of God every day, if you ate with him and drank with him and walked with him and talked with him and thought with him all day, you would begin to mirror him. But you just pat him on the head, have your five minutes prayer in the morning, then your five minutes prayer at night time you've done your holy may the mother of god whatever you've done and you've gone to bed and you haven't had jesus with you the whole day he's been there but you've not been listening to him and not been talking to him and you've not been walking with him if you spend time with him you would become like him why because you were hardwired to reflect him you've been created to reflect him you've been created to mirror him you spend more time on the Clash of the Clans than playing silly video games and you wonder why those attitudes start to come out and you're interpersonal because you're mimicking and you're imitating something that is of the world. You're hardwired to believe. God created your brain to do it naturally. Every time you see a little child and you go, Woo-hoo, and the child goes, Woo-hoo, back to you, that's an evidence that God created you to mimic something greater than you. What are you mimicking? What are you, intimi- what are you, what, what are you Im- imitating? Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 2 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also loved us and and given himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for sweet-smelling aroma. You go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, and it tells you how God has manifest himself through his Son on these last days, who is the essence of all things. And in his character, we can see him. God, we can see God in Jesus. And have you spent some time... Musing over and watching and thinking about and tossing over and over the life of Christ, the power of Christ. I have problems with my legs, my knees and my ankles. Oh, I had dreams and I thought I was got to get rheumatoid arthritis and all that negativity is going into my head. Can't get up in the morning without having to stretch my, you know, these ones and walking and trying to... Pain. Pain. And the idea always coming, idea always coming. You know, you're going to be in a wheelchair. You're going to end up in a wheelchair. You're not going to be able to get out of this. Like, this is the curse from God. What will you do? You know, you're going to... And I started to think about God being in every cell of my body. That God being in every part of my body. I started getting up in the early morning because I got pain in my legs and I couldn't sleep. And I start sitting there and I start praying for others and for their bodies. 
And I start saying, God, if you're outside of this universe, you're looking at it. And if you're inside every one of my cells and you're looking at it, then you're inside every one of this man's cells. And I'm looking at that man's got a disease in his body. So I'm seeing you, Lord Jesus. Your word is active and living. It's in him now healing his cells. Whatever is being mutated in that DNA, we, Lord, send your word and heal it. And he would send his word and the word would accomplish what God had desired for him to do. And the healing would start to take place. I was praying for different people in the church. And I was holding them up before the Lord. And I say, God, I'm looking into that. I'd look, go through their body. I'd start at the crown of their head and I'd go through every part that I could see. And I would pray for every part. And I'd say, the healing virtue of Jesus, I send it now. The word of God, go, do your work. Do your work. Jesus sent the word to heal them. Some guys understood that. You don't need to come, Jesus. Just say the word and he will be healed. I have men under me who will do what I tell them to do. If I say go, this one goes. And I say come, this one comes. He says, you just give the word. You've got angels. And they will take the word and do the word. And they will accomplish what you want to do. So I said, if that was true then, it's true now because God has not changed. And so I start to pray through the body of these people. And I'm getting up and I start walking around. Lord Jesus, I'm just binding that thing. And I'm noticing something. My legs are working fine. That the pain is going away. That the freedom is coming. That I can do things that I couldn't do before. That Jesus is up. Why is that? Because God is bigger than you can imagine. He is where you least expect him. He is at the core of you, in the core of yourselves. Speak to that disease and it shall be. If you command it to leave in the name of Jesus, if you cast it into the depths of the sea, it will be removed. Nothing will be impossible to them that believe. And all things are possible to Jesus. We look and say, oh yeah, but this spiritual mumbo. No, it's not. It's in your whole breakup makeup. It's part of who you are. It's hard part of how you what are you going to reflect? You're going to reflect something. What are you going to reflect? You want to reflect the worst there is in society? You want to look and say, to be strong, I've got to be mean. I've got to be tough and unclean. To be accepted, I've got to be horrible. And I've got to be mighty, dirty, and everybody will love me. If that's what you think, is that the reflection that's going to come out of your life? Or you've got to reflect God. Be imitators of God is to your children. Walk in love. You've got to say, I'm going to let the love of God so permeate my life, so fill my life with his goodness, so fill every cell of my body that ever as I walk into a room, I'm oozing the love of God. Oozing out of me. People will feel it. They won't even know what it is. They'll feel it coming out of my body. They'll begin to mirror it. Like a quiet answer, a gentle answer turneth away wrath. Why is that? Because you can be hostile and stir up strife, because that's how we're wired, or you can speak gently and bring peace. Because we are not that disconnected to one another, as you may think. We are more connected than you would even understand. Jesus was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Like he entered into our pain and our suffering. I like to think of that. 
I like to think of that when I'm in pain and in suffering. I like to think that Jesus is not far from me at that point of time. That he's very close to me. Then I like to see him being himself. Jesus said, I came to destroy the works of the devil. I think if sickness is in my body and it's working on me and it's making me painful and you, you, you teach me the lessons you want me to know, Lord Jesus, and I'll learn those lessons. But Lord, if this is something the devil is bringing on my life, I'm not having it because you're inside of me. You give me life abundantly. And I begin to press in to Jesus. Jesus is not reluctant to touch you. Jesus is not reluctant to heal you. You just don't know how, how amazingly powerful he is. Your mind is restricted, and because your mind is restricted, your mind is limited, and because your mind is limited, you don't attribute to him power that he can do. It's like Jesus, he's going back to his hometown. He's going into his hometown. This is where he was raised. And the scripture says he could do no mighty works there. Why is that? Because when they looked at him, they said, Oh, you're Jesus. You're the illegitimate child of that merry girl. Who did you say you are now? We already know who you are. And he did not do mighty works there. He healed a few. But they limited themselves because they didn't see the risen Lord. They didn't see God in the flesh. They saw Jesus, an illegitimate child of a merry girl. That's all they saw and that's what they got for their... You know, but the Syrophoenician woman who wasn't even a Jew, she comes to Jesus and she's sitting there with Jesus and she wants her demon-possessed child to be delivered. And she comes to them and they look and she's a Syrophoenician woman. She's not even a Jew. She's considered to be a dog. Uh, it says, Jesus, it's not right that I should feed the dogs the bread from the child's table. You say, that's very rough, Jesus. But this woman knows something about God, that God wants to touch her. And she says, but even the dogs eat the crumbs from the table. Even the little dogs eat the crumbs from the table. And Jesus goes, of course I want to heal her. She's healed. And right then when she spoke the word, then the angels took it. And there that child was delivered, right where the child was. Jesus is not reluctant, but is your faith big enough? Can you see and are you imitating and mirroring what Jesus wants you to do? When the Son of God comes in this time, will he find faith on the earth? You spend more time watching TV. You spend more time reading fanciful novels which have a romantic hit and you wonder why you have lust problems and you wonder why all the other... Because that's what you mirror. You are hardwired to mirror something. You say, I've got these terrible passions in my head. What are you thinking about? What are you looking at? If you change your appetite... It will change right through your system and a new pathway will open up. A pathway of righteousness, a highway of righteousness, a highway of righteousness that will take you through to glory. What are you looking at? What are you meditating on? What are you mirroring? 
I had a good question from Michael last week. We were talking about um, taking responsibility for your life. And I'm going to finish very shortly. And Michael says, surely, you know, other people can make you get angry or something like that. You know, are you always responsible for your actions? You know, well, if the devil works on you real bad and you're feeling all the temptations the devil's bringing to you and you're feeling it ripping through your body, surely you can stand before God and say, the devil made me do it. I'm not responsible. I know I slept with another man's wife. I'm not responsible because the devil made me do it. I was there, I felt, the, and it was so bad, and she was looking at me, and she felt it too, and so when we both felt it together, oh, let's do it then, baby. And then, oh, I know we did the wrong thing, but the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. You chose. You were responsible for it. You took action that God is not happy with, and you chose to do that. Somebody walks into the room and they're really angry and they're screaming and they go, oh, I'm going to hit you, I'm going to hit you so bad. And he says, it's self-defense, jump up and boot him and kick him and put him down and stomp on his head. There, take that, teach you. The Bible says, as much as this within you, live peaceably with all men. There's not much in me, so there. Are you responsible? But you must be because Jesus says if somebody strikes you on the right cheek to him to the left. It says don't react. Don't respond back for like. We're talking about gentleness here now. Gentleness is opposed to harshness. Our world is harsh all the way around. It started a long time ago with, with um, Cain. Cain... Unhappy because his offering wasn't accepted. Abel's offering was accepted and he was happy. Cain is destroyed with anger and he's sitting there and God comes to him. If you do what is right, want to fix it up for you? Sin is crouching at the door, but you must master it. And Cain goes away and says, I can mirror God or I can mirror myself. And he becomes the father of violence and aggression. Goes into a field and he kills his brother. And God comes in and says, what's this I can hear? Where's your brother Abel? I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? And God says, I can hear his blood crying to me from the ground. You can't hide what you've done. Don't you know me? Don't you know I'm there? I saw it all. I warned you beforehand. You're responsible. When we talk about being gentle, we're talking about adopting the heart of God in a situation rather than your will. Or your idea. We oftentimes, when we get wars and fighting and arguments happening between us in a, in a situation, we say, well, it's justifiable because that person makes me so angry. 
They make me so angry. They stand and they say all these things to me and it hurts me. And because I get hurt, I'm trying to get in control of the situation. And the way I control the situation is I'm going to shout at them. I'm going to hit them. I'm going to, and then I'm going to say, you'd make the devils, you'd make the angels in heaven swear. It's your fault, not mine. Well, I want to tell you something. It's your fault because you can mirror something else. It's always your responsibility because you can mirror something else. So if there's harshness happening around you, you can mirror the peace of Jesus and the calm, gentle response of Jesus, who's like a lamb before, a, before its slaughter, is taken there and didn't cry out. And, didn't, and when he's on the cross and he could say, Oh, I'm going to send you all to hell! Ah! No, he didn't. He didn't say that at all. He said, Father, forgive them. He married the Father. And when He's living in you, and you are part with Him, and Him in you, and you in Him, and you're abiding in Him, and His Word abides in you, you shall ask whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. You can mirror Jesus. In every situation, you can mirror the Lord. There are no places where you can hide from this one. God wants you to reflect Himself. He has hardwired you to copy him. If I meditate in his word, both day and night, if I don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor in the path of sinners, nor seat in the seat of the scoffers, but if my delight is in the law of the Lord, and in the law I meditate both day and night, then I shall be like a tree planted by living water, and I will bring forth my fruit in its season, and everything I do will prosper. Why? Because I'm spending day and night mirroring God, thinking about God, reflecting on God, and out of me oozes the essence of God. Young people, Television rots your brain. Grandma used to say it to us when we were kids. They're just starting to discover that it is destroying parts of your brain. That it really does rot your brain. You need to make some very clear choices about what you are going to reflect in a society that is reflecting everything evil. You have to stand up and you have to say, as Jesus called you, I am a light in the world. And the light shouldn't be hidden. I'm not going to put it under a basket. I'm going to shine for Jesus. Why don't we all stand up right now? Father, I just pray for this congregation. Father, I ask, oh God, that you help this congregation understand they are fearfully and wonderfully made, that the very essence of their created being supports the whole idea of pursuing righteousness. This is not a problem for you, God. You made us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is not a problem for you because you created us to love you, to seek after you, to know you, to find you. Lord, I pray for this congregation that we would become obsessed with you, Jesus. 
so obsessed with your greatness that we will wake up in the night time and in the night watches and dwell on you and your greatness and where you live, where your throne lives, Father. And Lord, the wonders that you have shown through your word, Father, that we would just soak in your greatness, oh God. So that we, when we wake in the day, would ooze Jesus out of every pore of our skin. That Jesus would be our expression on a daily basis. I ask this in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone here said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.